0: People, 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 welcome back to another pre-recorded podcast of, you already know, the Arsenio Buck Show. Man, it is so good to be back. The events that have unfolded over the last couple of days and the plays that I've gotten and so many people listening to my podcast and stuff like that, man, I'm just so grateful as you guys have already heard in my podcast that was actually today, but you guys are going to be listening to this podcast tomorrow. Anyways, guys, let's talk about heroism. Let's talk about... The stoic mask. This is the first beginning going into the masks of humanity, especially the masks that men suffer from. This relates to men a lot, but this also is going to relate to women because they're probably involved with these types of men. Now, I never had a hero. I never had a hero when I was young. Of course, my father, he was really never around. I really never saw him that often. I never dreamed of being that doctor, that lawyer, that this, that, that. Um, but I always, I always visualize myself doing something godly. I'm talking about like, you know, beating out that last athlete, you know, just like literally leaning over at the finish line to win the 100 meters state championship race or making the last shot in the college basketball final or, you know, winning the four by 400 Olympic gold medal and sending the crowd into an absolute Frenzy. You know, I've always visualized that man. You know, I'll see you know, it, it, it gives me that push, it gives me that drive, it gives me that hey, you know what? This is really, really fun, and it pushes me to the absolute to, oh boy, it pushes me to limits you don't even want to know. And after that, it's just that resounding feeling of just joy and stuff like that. So, this is what I'm talking about in terms of heroism. Now, other people they would probably look towards uh, the military. Now, of course, a lot of people, they have their own personal opinions about the military and whatnot. Uh, I have my own personal opinions about the military when I started doing research. And the next thing you know, when I went into the Remnants War Museum um, in the heart of Ho Chi Minh City, and one of my students actually just brought that up in the last few days, they also, oh, as a matter of fact, yeah, football player that I'm actually teaching, he went into the Remnants War Museum, and I saw... An atrocity. I saw, I saw genocide. I saw things that I, I could never take back. I can't unsee those things. And you know what? I never really looked at the military as being part of someone. Yet now, of course, there are a lot of Americans on the streets. Of, again, this is all personal opinion. Uh, that they would just clap at Veterans Day and whatnot and say, thank you. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for protecting us. But if you actually look at those, those particular human beings that were actually forced to kill innocent people out there in Vietnam, the ones that wear the Vietnam War vet hats, the ones that dropped Little Boy and Fat Man, the ones that killed 1.2 million Chinese during the Korean War and did this and did that, uh, I'm sorry, that—, that That doesn't really equate to heroism for me. So I never looked up to an army, you know, uh, a a person in the army branches saying, hey, you know what? You are an unbelievable hero to me because I believe I believe that there should be no armies, that, that there should be no aircraft carriers, no planes with bombs. There should be none of that on this planet. And the thing is, we keep creating and creating an even more larger budget, especially in America, to create these human killing machines I'm against. You know what? I'm pro-peace. I'm Mother Teresa, baby. I'm not I'm not anything. That's not what I represent, and that's not what I look up to. So I had to really dig deep and figure out who was that iconic figure, who was that hero, who was that person that actually helped me so much throughout my childhood and made me make the right decisions. He came by the name of Alfred Bernard Travis. And you know what? I say that humbly- Um, just because that was my mom's second boyfriend. And of course, two out of three of my mom's boyfriends were wonderful. The third one, he was just, he he flaunted himself in all this luxury and he thought he was just top notch and everything. He was like the biggest D head uh, on the planet. But let's focus on Al. Al was actually one of the very first friends that I saw of my father's back in about 20 years ago. He was not part of the entire affair or whatnot, but he was just my father's friend because they worked with each other at uh, at a casino and whatnot. And the next, you know, push came to shove. So many things happened between, of course, my father and my mom, et cetera, et cetera. Al came back around. I'd have to say, oh, it's so hard. Uh, I have to say about 2003, 2004, Al was there to give me Motivation. Al told me the good things and the bad things. Al gave me insight. Al took me to the gym. Al bought me things. Al would take me to football games on Thursday night to watch his son play, of course, in the freshman and junior varsity leagues of American football. Al was there when, you know, uh, you know what? I honestly believe that Al officially came into my life when, of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they went on a massive run, and they were probably like 6-1 and one back in the 2004 season. They went 15-1, and one, lost to Patriots, et cetera, et cetera. You guys probably don't know what this is, but it's all good. Just stick with me here. But it was in 2004, I'm just painting the picture for you guys. He came into my life because he's like, you're still his fan? I said, yeah. He's like, let's go to the mall. He bought me a hat. He was there so much during times that I needed that father figure, especially in 2005. When my brother would go crazy, and we would get in a fist fight because I didn't let him borrow money for weed guess who was the one that came over, of course, to the house to intervene in between the, you know, in between two of us, it was him, and it was so funny, because during the, (laughs) I gotta tell you guys this story, (laughs) during this entire ordeal, my brother scream and say, this motherfucker, Arsenio, man, he's motherfucking, he's this, he's that, And, and, and Al would just say, he would say like this, oh my god, he is so hostile, he would just keep saying that to like, oh my God, it was just, it was comedy. I loved it. And so, of course, my sister picked my crazy ass brother up and took him out of there for a few days and whatnot. But Al was honestly there for the good, a good part of the the years that really changed my life. He was there at my, my senior year of high school when I actually fell over that hurdle, that last hurdle in terms of what I, get, uh, I was telling you guys about um, in terms of health or something I told you like in the last few podcasts. Um, at me falling over that last hurdle and crawling across the finish line, guess who was standing there at the finish line? It was him. And so he was a gentle human being. He was, he had that masculinity. Like he was very strong. He was very, he was, he was Frank, but he can make an entire restaurant laugh just like that. He could walk into a store and move, like, I'm not talking about move physically, but move everyone emotionally, mentally, psychologically with his words. He would come uh, to some place, he would come off work some days, he would be angry, I swear. He would speak for about five minutes and have my family in tears of laughter. The things and sayings he would say were things I've never heard and probably never will hear again in my life. This guy was a remarkable figure. He was there for me. And you know what? He wasn't one of those people who were hiding behind the masks. You know, Lewis, quote, he actually wrote in his book, he said, quote, sometimes it's not just the woman in your life or your family whom you lock out when you actually hide behind this mask of strength and unflappability. He says, sometimes it's the entire world you lock out. And what you're keeping from them is your true, authentic self, the real you. Al allowed me to be myself. Al was there when I actually had a physical examination just before my cross-country season and senior year of high school in 2006, and he was that father figure in there with the doctor at those particular moments that the doctor was talking about things very personal for me. Al was there. I was able to show my true self to him. If you guys actually uh, watched the movie Bad Boys 2, it was actually a particular scene in there where, of course, you know, Martin Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry, they're talking in a TV store in a room and Marcus starts opening up. You know, Martin Lawrence starts opening up saying, you know what? You know, you hit me. You hit me in that part of my ass and I can't even sit down straight. He was saying all this crazy stuff. He's like, I can't even get a direction. All this ridiculous stuff. And, and you know what? At that specific moment, Guess what happens? Mike says, You know what? We're friends with boundaries. I don't want you to tell me about your erection. I don't want you to tell me about this. Don't talk about my mama's t-. he was saying all these things, and that's when that border goes up in society. Because when men aren't able to show other men their true self and say, you know what, I'm this or I'm that, and he says, Oh, whoa, 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 too much information. He never opens himself up up he never opens himself up again. He puts that mask over and he never takes it off. You know, in Lewis holds his previous book, School of Greatness, he told a story about his brother named Christian. This guy was, of course, 18 years old. He was sentenced to prison for selling LSD to an undercover uh, cop. So when he got out, got out with good behavior after about four years, and since then he transformed his life, which is amazing, right? He became one of the greatest jazz violinists in the world. He teaches thousands of students every year inspire them to live a great life as well now lewis was only eight years old when he went inside and he remember thinking of course even then at the young fragile age that he was he's like you know what because my 18 year old brother right because he has gone to jail it's time for me to become a man now i have to be strong for my parents i can't cry I can't trouble them with my troubles. Those were his thoughts as an elementary school kid. And he quoted in his book, he said, I do not think, or, well, you know, no, I'm sorry. He said, I do think there is something admirable in that mentality, in being strong. Some measure of strength, or, you know, some measure of strength of uh, does prevent you from falling apart, like a house of cards. The problem is when that toughness doesn't stop and it grows like cancer until it strangles out all the other feelings. So then, of course, what ultimately ends up happening is that four years later, at the age of 22, his brother got out of prison, had a family meeting. Christian sat down and told everyone how sorry he was and how much shame and stress he put on their family and that he felt horrible letting all of them down. And at that particular moment, of course, everyone was crying. Even the Japanese exchange student that was staying with them for six months at that given time. Christian was howling at the moon, crying. Sisters were clinging on to, of course, Lewis and bawling their eyes out. His mother and his father, of course, were an emotional mess. But Lewis never teared up at all. With all of those people being around him. Being vulnerable and open and whatnot, including the two male relatives. There was no reason for Lewis to keep his emotions in, and yet he felt like he didn't have that option. He lost that part of himself, and he was only 12 years old when that happened. Pretty amazing, huh? See, as we get older, man, we carry these tendencies with us, okay? We don't even remember where we learned them. It could have been a strong word from a relative saying, hey, don't be a wuss. It could have been, you know, with some goddamn kids teasing you at school like this little kid named Tommy that was teasing me at school in front of the school playground. And he kept putting his fist on my face. And the next thing you know, I started crying and everyone started calling me a bitch. Guys, this also relates to Moonlight. Because, of course, and in the movie Moonlight, if you guys haven't watched that remarkable movie, um, really, really, really dark movie, especially uh, really difficult to watch. Now, this happened in Moonlight because, of course, these kids would chase this other kid around the school and kick his ass and call him, quote-unquote, a faggot. Excuse my language. And the next thing you know, when you hear that, suggestions from other people, faggot, 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 over and over and over and over, what happens? You start believing that you are. So then, of course, he went to the house of this particular individual that was helping him uh, keep him out of troubles and whatnot. And the guy was like, hey, am I a faggot? And it's amazing because those and what ended up happening? He wasn't even let's say he probably didn't even like boys before that. You know what I mean? But because other schoolmates kept calling him a faggot, 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 faggot. Look what happened. He ended up not being, well, he ended, he, I'm not saying he ended up being that, that disgusting word, but he ended up believing that he was that and changed his life forever. And he kept getting picked on and picked on and picked on. The next you know, he resorted to drugs and violence too, because his mother was never around. And of course she always did drugs, et cetera, et cetera, man. It's these things, the things that we see in television, the things that we see in movies, everything. And it's it's a shame. It really is. I mean, guys, I want to give you another story. So there was a guy by the name of Michael Sam. OK, and because this guy, Michael Sam, he was an excellent defensive end, which is basically an NFL defensive player uh, for the Missouri Tigers. OK, Missouri Tigers, University of Missouri out there in Missouri. He came out just before the NFL draft and said that he was gay. So then, of course, they had the camera in his house when he got drafted. I forgot what round it was. It doesn't really matter. But when he got drafted, he stood up off the couch and he gave his boyfriend a kiss. The Internet went on. I swear, it was the trending topic. All the vulgarity and all these insensitive comments in terms of him kissing his partner. Ran rampant all over the net. And so we, as human beings, we are so terrified of this happening. We're terrified of what the world will perceive us to do. He was an excellent defensive lineman. He was probably much better than a few other linemen on that damn team. But you know what? He got cut. And we never heard from him again. Why? Because his sexual preference. There was another guy by the name of Robbie Rogers. Uh, Second, of course, he was a, a, a footballer. Him and a guy named Stuart Holder probably about eight years ago. They were excellent players. And it was so difficult for Robbie at that particular time because he struggled to come out of the closet. And that struggle was so profound. Because, I mean, if you look at it this way, second only to the military, professional sports world, is about as hostile to gays as you'll ever find, period, especially in the African-American community. Oh, my God. You should have saw the comments on, the, of course, the movie Moonlight, because it's just, America, they're so anti-everything. They're anti-African-American, anti-gay, anti-everything. I mean, if you look at, of course, the president right now, he says no more of gay, no more this, 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 this in our military, only men. I mean, if you uh, look at this humanity minus people, humanity. Now you understand why I view the military in a particular way. Because you're telling me that you're going to beat the hell out, uh, beat the hell out of a man or a woman or whatever because his sexual preference or whatever he is. This is terrifying. The gay ju- the, the gay jokes that would be in you know the locker room at those times, and oh, so many things that would just you know, come over these particular players. They were terrified of coming out, man. Um, And so he finally came out. And what happens is taking off that mask to show vulnerability is one thing. But when you do it to show the world who you really are, that is something else entirely. That's true strength. See, gay or straight, famous or anonymous, many men... A lot of men around the world, just like, you know, are afraid to do what, Rob, you know, Robbie's mom counseled him to do. To love or allow themselves to be loved. Because it means making themselves vulnerable to the judgment of other people. So giving people a chance to love and know you leaves you open to the risk that they won't take the chance you're offering. It's much easier to eliminate that risk by retreating behind the mask. By showing people that you know, what the, hey, you know, what the fake self is, but in reality, we know exactly who that particular, you know, you know, taking off, oh, man, I don't, man, have I ever, now, is this something that I actually suffer from? I'm trying to think right now. I wrote this on the blog, which is, of course, it's going to be on the Um It's, it's, it's not a pro I mean... It never really happened with me. I mean, I never had to be that strong person. You know, I'm emotional. You know, when I get sick sometimes, when I watch Antoine Fisher, hell, I was watching uh, Fences with one of my students. Uh, What was it, earlier this year? And Fences, I teared up. And she heard me tear up, and she asked me a question. She's like, is this really how it is at the very end? And I said, yeah. And she heard the crackling in my voice, and I just sat there. And I had tears in my eyes because it was just such a powerful message, especially for me being an African-American. I felt that that being shunned out of a family. I felt that that pain at the very end when that particular child was actually singing a song that his father would sing every day. And at that blink of a moment, he felt that pain and he had been living with that mask and his father was living with that mask that he had to be that unbelievable masculine alpha male in the house. His And the and the wife would say, you know what? Your father was so much. I was so terrified of hearing his footsteps every day because his father alone could fill up the entire house. I mean, probably in the early 20th century was such a big problem. And I believe that it's still becoming a big, big problem right now. Another notable thing is the actor Tyrese. He came out. He came out crying on YouTube about money and this and that. I don't know if he was afraid crying or not, but again, the African-American community called him a b-word like there was no tomorrow there were actors all around saying shut your bleep bleep up you bleep you bleep you bleep be a man what the hell you ain't no man you ain't no man and again all of those people who commented they suffer from this particular mask So, guys, with that being said, this is a long story. There's a lot of things that I needed to get into and whatnot. But tomorrow morning's podcast, we're going to get into – we're going to break down a little bit more of the stoic mask, and I'm going to give you guys some actionable steps in terms of, you know, getting rid of it. And I hope this, guys, this was a very good podcast, I felt, probably because I'm sitting underneath some air conditioning right now. Uh, But if you guys, again, have any questions whatsoever – Please let me know, and until then, man, I would love to hear some stories, especially from some of my folks in India, um, because it's a very different culture out there. Uh, South Korea, again, a very, very different culture there. I know that, uh, again, bisexuals and people who, you know, people who like men, men who like men, women who like women out there, it's considered a very, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, it's tough out there. Um, but I would love to hear some of your stories, guys. So please let me know. Anyone around the world, man, you guys let me know. And until then, man, guys, thanks for tuning in to another pre-recorded podcast of the Arsenio Buck Show. Man, over and out.